What is up, everybody? Welcome to the week nine edition of the DFS MVP podcast. I'm your host, TJ, director of DFS at 4from4.com. Back as always with my co-host, Mr. John Bagel, Mr. Pat Crane. What's going on, boys? We are at the halfway point of the regular season. Going good. My dog just busts through the door during the intro. Doesn't want to be in the room with me. Just really dislikes the idea that I have the door closed in the office. He just <laughs> smashes it open and then leaves. So that's why you're not looking at my washer. He's he's smashing it open because he too uh, is looking for a way out of this slate, which is <laughs> an ugly one. Uh, having said that, it is. it's a week-to-week game, and we're still playing the game that we need to figure out how to beat. And so it's going to be fun to talk about it with y'all because really what I don't want to happen, I think the one thing I'm worried about is that when the lineups lock and I open the apps and all the cards are flipped, I'm just worried that the one thing I thought I had unlocked is going to be like 15 to 17% roster, like all the way down. And I'm just going to get pissed off at myself because the one thing I don't want to do in this slate is play the chalk. Uh, Cause yep. no one's good. So why would I ever play the players that everyone else is doing? And it's the one thing I'm trying to avoid. It's tough though, because like, it doesn't seem like there's really much value Mm-hmm. Which I guess, yeah, then you don't want to be playing a bunch of chalk when it's not that that there isn't that much value. But there's like not a lot of spots where I'm like, ooh, this is a nice pivot. People aren't thinking of this. It's just kind of it is kind of ugly. So it'll be interesting. We just have to beat our opponents, though, right? Yeah, every week we get uh, it, it seems like we've got the ugliest slate we can remember. And then uh, the next week um, it gets one up uh, again. Uh, another short slate. We're back to a 10 game slate after a 13 game slate last week. Karain mentioned last week that it felt like it was going to be one of those weeks that you kind of had to be perfect. Um, and it kind of played out that way. It was like very light correlation. I believe the millionaire had um, just like one double stack with no other secondary stack. So you did kind of have to be perfect throughout your lineup. Uh, these condensed slates, um, we can lean a little bit more into like heavily stacking, especially with all this low scoring that's expected. Um, if the game that we like hits, obviously that is a very good thing. Um Seven early games, three late games. So, uh, you know, that's always kind of weird when it's um, it's kind of offset like that. I I, I don't like the I, I like a more balanced slate, but um, you know, we got to play it the 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 way the way the ball lies, so to speak. Um, but the, uh, I, I, I go ahead. I, the last time we were in this slate, remember, this is when Bully tied in won a couple weeks ago because yes. no one knew where to go. So Kelsey yep. Andrews with Andrews flexed is what took mm-hmm. down lineups. And so I've just been tinkering with a few ideas like hmm. that. Uh, there are only like two quarterbacks, expensive quarterbacks that pop, really, because there are only two expensive quarterbacks on this slate. But yeah. uh, like, there, you're going to see some weird things in tournaments this week, and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I think for me, it's like uh, the concept of input volatility. I think is important this week. Where like we're gonna, you know, this is a projections based game at this point. But, you know, projections have to make some assumptions. I think there's a couple spots and we'll get to them, but a couple spots where like we just don't really like there could be a shift in usage. And if there is like that would really change things. And this slate seems sort of fragile to those types of shifts. Like if there's a couple spot, like a couple running backs have a little bit different roles than we're going to have to assume rationally heading in. Um, I think that could really flip the slate on its head, so to speak. 
Yeah, I think there's, I think this is probably one of the most fragile slates we've seen all year. Um, if we even, if you just take out even the low scoring expectation, we have multiple backup quarterbacks on the slates, which always is going to throw a wrench on things. Um, we don't really have uh, high end receivers to choose from. We got AJ Brown, the only other like high end receivers, Cooper Cup. He's playing with a backup quarterback. And then if you look at the running backs on the slate, like the high touch floor running backs, a lot of them are either on a buy or playing in primetime slates. So we have uh, like two guys that, that account for a huge percentage of their team's touches. Um, everything else is really up in there. So I do think it is a, a like m- maybe one of the wildest slates. Um, I, I think we want to say this every week just because we like playing tournaments, but I, I do think this could end up being like the ugliest week for chalk that we've seen um, all year. Uh, before we get into everything, uh, as we talk about every single week, Corrine, uh, sends everybody the walkthrough on Friday morning. Uh, Karain, we will leave the cover boy for a little bit later because we'll definitely have some some talking points on that game. But in the walkthrough this week, you continue to talk about um, open score. Now that we have a few weeks of data, I'm just wondering if you have noticed any correlation, any predictiveness. Obviously, it's only a couple weeks, so like having like this huge sample, it just isn't um, something we have yet. But anything you've noticed using open score for a couple weeks now? Yeah, and I've been looking at it uh, for a couple years, I guess. I, you know, because they put this out last year, so I, I dug into it over the offseason. I wrote about it last year too. One of the things I like about it is I think it can be kind of uh, something that gives us like a sense of the type of players these guys are. I talked about this a little bit last week, but like Mike Williams never rates well in open score, mm-hmm. but he's a good receiver. Like he just doesn't really get open that's like but we know that we know that that mike williams is kind of that type of guy um and i think just bringing that context to the to the metric really helps you another example would be like cooper cup and puka nakua both don't rate that well in the in the metric but they're both way better than tutu atwell Mm -hmm. and it's like we know they're locked into big roles so like am i super worried about their route running ability i am not at all i do think it's it's really helpful, I think, to some of the extremes. Like, I like to see who's really crushing. Tank Dell has been shockingly good in open score, and I think that's something I want to be paying attention to. This is a rookie who's flashing an elite trait, route running. Um, he was a really good college player, very productive, undersized, but, you know, he can make up for that if he's a, an elite route runner. And not to say that he definitely is, but could be. And then at the very bottom – Guys like you know uh, Van Jefferson. You know he's the last. He's the last. In, right? If we if we if you're looking to go to Van Jefferson because Drake London's out now. Drake London's out. Uh, yeah. That's that's definitely a red flag. Guys having trouble getting open like ever. So yeah. Uh, I think at, at the extremes it can be pretty useful, helping you understand competition on the team as well, like how guys stand out from one another. I think is is really useful too. Yeah, if you um, if you go through uh, the walkthrough, as I mentioned, you'll you'll get a lot of really good data um, on open rate and how it relates to um, a lot of the pass catchers that Crane talked about just now. And the ones we're going to talk about uh, throughout uh, the course of this podcast. As always, if you look at the YouTube description, we have a link to sign up through Legendary Upside to get that walkthrough in your inbox every week. And if you haven't signed up for the four for four DFS subscription yet, if you missed the Halloween sale, price still dropped to forty nine. 
$29 for us this season. If you use the promo code YouTube, you'll get an additional 25% off. And we're going through the Super Bowl, so there's still tons of value on that subscription. Uh, and once you do that, you can upgrade to the solver, the best optimizer in the game, and automatically get all of the 4 for 4 projections synced to the solver. But let's get into it. Uh, as we mentioned, expected pretty low scoring game. Uh, no game with a total above 47 points. No team with a total at 26 or higher. The premier game of the week is the Eagles versus the Cowboys. 47 point total is the highest on the slate. Eagles favored by three, giving them a team total of 25. So, Corrine, in the walkthrough, you mentioned um, how this game can play out because of the Cowboys pass rush. So, uh, obviously the Eagles are going to project very well because they're high uh, team total, but how do you think they counter that pass rush and who gets elevated in this game besides the obvious A.J. Brown just on an absolute tear right now? Yeah, last year I I was kind of noting throughout the season that the Eagles had a real weakness in allowing quick pressure, and it seemed to be like adjusting their game plans to where you know if they were in a spot like this last year, we might see them um, actually shift more to, to Devontae Smith because he was kind of more in the intermediate area and A.J. Brown was like a downfield dominator. But that has really shifted this year where I think A.J. Brown's almost like a Cooper Cup. He's like a chess piece there going to adjust his role slightly to account for the matchup. So A.J. Brown, I think we can – he's the focal point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like not really in dispute at this point. He's had such – even in like open score, he's in the 92nd percentile. Devonta Smith's in the 49th. So this all this target stuff is actually kind of following some of the underlying numbers as well. Like it, it makes sense why they're – emphasizing him he's been amazing I honestly feel like now maybe Dallas Goddard gets elevated in this game rather than Smith because when we saw uh not last week but the few weeks before that we saw his usage bump up a little bit that was associated with him getting more usage in the screen game and that's something that was a big part of his profile in 2022 he's kind of more of a a yards after catch kind of guy in that offense he tends to have a pretty low a dot tends to get involved uh on screens, that can be a little bit difficult to predict because you're like literally predicting a specific play call, right? We're really in the weeds yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. But Cowboys have an elite pass rush. One of the ways that they could try to kind of slow that down would be um, to counter that with some tight end screens. And they do really like Goddard in the screen game. That's that we know. So I think a small boost for, for Goddard here. And I, I think it's important to note with Goddard specifically because, again, uh, Daigle mentioned like we saw on a short slate a couple weeks ago, a bully tight end strategy worked. It's kind of tough to figure out like who the bullies are this week. Obviously, we got Andrews on the slate, no Kelsey. It would be Hawkinson, but now he's catching balls from a backup quarterback. So like if we look at the offense that's in one of the, the best situations – I mean, Goddard might be like part of those bully builds if we're thinking about who to pair Andrews with. If we assume Andrews is the elite option on the slate, um, I, I kind of think Goddard stands out a little bit. The other yeah. thing I would note here, sorry, it's just is just DeAndre Swift. I think is another way to play this. Yeah. Go ahead Go on DeAndre Swift. Well, I think you know maybe a little bit of input volatility on Swift, where um, we saw his role expand a little bit last week, and. His, he hasn't been very efficient this season. I mean, it hasn't been bad, but but he, it's not like he's like really popping as a as a talent. However, he's been much better than uh, Kenny Gainwell. And last week we saw Swift handle seventy one percent of snaps, 
which is the second highest since week two. And that was game uh, Gainwell was out for. And then he handled 76% of the carries, which is a season high for him. So if that's the role, right, and they're trying to uh, run the ball a bit more to kind of keep the, the Cowboys pass rush honest, then, you know, maybe Swift, maybe we, maybe he's underprojected a little bit here. Mm-hmm. For A.J. Brown, yes, we would be playing him, as you mentioned, because he has a 30% target share since week three. They just haven't looked anywhere else. At the same time, the Cowboys' defense to that position in particular have shut everyone down. And this has been through several negative game scripts where teams have had no choice but to pass in the second half. And even so, no receiver has topped 90 yards or scored 15 fantasy points against the Cowboys all year long. So if you don't want to play A.J. Brown, I actually kind of get it. And also, as you said, the pivot to me is Dallas Goddard because that's what the Cowboys have been beating getting beat by all year anyhow. Seventh most yards per game and sixth most yards per catch to opposing tight ends. So Goddard is the way, like DeAndre Swift as well, that I look to play this game. Dak Prescott is someone that scares me because I do think he's an awesome play, but I'm really worried about recency bias for last week. Having said that, we don't have ownership high on him. Um, yeah. I've looked around at other sites. They don't have ownership high on him either. And I don't know if my read is off. I don't know if I'm expecting him to get steamed. And that's why I'm just looking at it early. I don't know. Because if we do think Dak Prescott is coming in like around three to 5%, he's arguably like the best quarterback on this board because mm-hmm. he's probably going to tear them apart. I mean, last year, even when they played under Mike McCarthy, uh, Dak Prescott finished with 347 and three touchdowns. C.D. Lamb at a 31.4% target share because all they did was say, yes, you have a great pass rush, which the Eagles do again. Jalen Carter even back at practice this week, and they just said, we'll get rid of the ball quick and we'll beat you that way, and that's exactly what they did. And that's what other teams are doing too. The Eagles are facing a league high 74% pass play rate this year because teams know you can't run on them at all. Um, No running back has reached 15 carries or 60 rushing yards all season long on Philadelphia's front seven. And it's probably not going to be Tony Pollard, this version of him that's still recovering from injury. What happened, man? Someone I'm not scared of. Yeah. He joins the, he joins the Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris Oof. realm, Oof. where I just like don't care. Like you come in at twenty percent, I dare you to beat me, and if you do, congrats. Otherwise, yep. I just don't care. Um, and so, yeah, I I want to play Dak doubles. I would mm-hmm. absolutely love to. It doesn't have to be CD Lamb now. CD Lamb coming out of the bye with a forty-one percent target share. I want to play CD Lamb. Also, the Eagles are allowing the third most points per game to opposing slot receivers, and they have moved CD Lamb around these past two games. Uh, he's played on the boundary to 46 and 49% of his routes. So like they are moving him everywhere. Now these past two weeks, they're figuring it out. I want to play CD lamb, but I also don't feel like I necessarily have to, because you can get a little weird with Jake Ferguson. If you think it's like not a blowout, Jake Ferguson got us there last week. You can get a little weird with, uh, if you want Dallas Goddard to block Jake, Jake Ferguson, cause that's how you want to play the Eagle side. You can play one of the ancillary receivers and Brandon cooks or Michael Gallup. So yeah, I want to play Dak doubles. I'm just still a little worried as a Friday afternoon. Yeah. We, um, go ahead. Are we covered a little bit by, cause Hertz is supposed to be pretty chalky. So are we like, and I know Ferguson might be chalky. So, but potentially kind of the chalk way to play this would be like Hertz Brown and then you're maybe bringing back like Ferguson as opposed to going to the Dak doubles. Is that what we're thinking? 
Yeah, the, it's important to uh, distinguish between the two sites um, for this game, especially. Hertz will be Hertz and Lamar are going to suck up a lot of quarterback ownership against such a weak quarterback, su- such a weak slate just in general for scoring. Um, so Hertz and, and Lamar are just going to project uh, so much better than the field. Um, same for AJ. He's going to come along with Hertz. On Fandle, Tony Pollard is so cheap, 6,600 that. People are just going to have a hard time not playing him there just because it's such, again, as I mentioned, after Josh Jacobs and Alvin Kamara, you can poke a hole in every single running back on the slate. Um, so I, oh, I think I can, I'll poke a hole in Josh Jacobs. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just mean from like a touch floor perspective. Sure. Um, and, and then on, on DK, we had, I think this might happen with Pollard again. We had Pollard kind of like in that second tier of range where he might be in that 15 to 20% ownership. He ended up at 9% in the milli. And I think we could see that again on DraftKings. So I I think be careful if we're thinking about how much chalk we're going to get or how contrarian we're going to be that I I think that those DAC side doubles will probably play better on Fandle or I think on DraftKings where people might not be as inclined to go to Pollard. um, We we might see it a little bit more spread out there. Mm Good point. Um, one more note on this game. I would just say um, I, I do agree with um, uh, what Daigle said about the matchup as far as A.J. Brown goes. My only contention to that would be is that we very rarely see um, a player projecting so much better than his position, especially from a value score perspective. And right now, 4 for 4's value scores has A.J. Brown's value about 40% higher than any other wide receiver in the field on DraftKings, like almost 60% higher on Fandle. And again, that's because no Tyreek on the slate, no Jamar on the slate, Cooper Cup catching balls from a backup quarterback, Devontae catching balls from a backup quarterback. Um, so if a player is going to lap his position this week, it very well could be um, A.J. And, and we have him projecting it's, as such. It's also like I don't ever use wide receiver cornerback matchups sure, in particular. Sure. And when I said it on the recap show we do with our friends at underdog every Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, like their, their channel in the comments, like freaked out. They're like, uh, who's this guy who says cornerback matchups don't matter. It's yeah. not that it's just the way in the NFL works. Now, every defense plays a majority zone coverage. So cornerback matchups don't actually matter anyways. And then also good schemes get the best players, the ball. So sure. what I right. decided, what I, I just cited about AJ Brown and the stats for receivers against the Cowboys. That's why I also led with a 30% target share since week three. Right. AJ Brown's the offensive player of the year. So like, it doesn't matter. Like if, if they want to get in the ball in this game, they will figure out a way. I don't care about that. Yeah. And when we say things like, you know, if I don't think a matchup is always like the tiebreaker, sometimes it's more important than others, but like in this case for someone like AJ Brown, the matchup would be the tiebreaker. If we had Jamar and just Jefferson and Cooper cup and Tyree kill like, and Kelsey, like all going in this case, like we don't have any of those guys um, except for cup and, and Devonte, but again, for backup. So like, it's just kind of a different um, it's a very unique spot for AJ in terms of, of other pass catchers on the slate. And this kind of slate when I like Devontae Adams, I like a couple other guys up there. I like Devontae Adams a lot. We'll get to that later. Uh, but like I can, for the reasons I painted playing devil's advocate, I can see myself getting off of Brown and this spot now for that reason and going elsewhere with that salary. Yeah. Well, one thing with matchups that I think is underrated um, and, you know, Pat Thorman, I think has has been way out in front of this over the years, but like the way that offenses interact is, is probably way more important than people realize. Sure. Do you guys trust the Cowboys here to be aggressive like they were last week 
Um, they, they really surprised me and just how aggressive they were against the Rams. But it's it's Mike McCarthy, so I'm always a little bit scared here. But that's how, like, defense-wise, this, this game doesn't jump out to me. It's like, oh, we got to target this game. But offense-wise, it has the potential to. I, I trust the Eagles to want to score points. That's why they're out there on offense. Yeah. Sometimes I worry about the Cowboys, that they have other ideas of time of possession and – keeping the ball out of other people's hands. Like, you know, so like, do we get an aggressive Cowboys offense? Cause if we do, I think this game could be pretty fun. It's what, it's what we're asking. Like no one knows. Yeah. That's the thing. So you yeah. kind of have to put your money behind that decision and say, I'm crossing my fingers. They're aggressive because if they are, we can see how they reach their ceiling through the air. If they're not aggressive, I, I, I don't know how they, that's the point is that I don't, think they can reach a ceiling on the ground either because Tony Pollard has not had a ceiling all year long. So mm-hmm. even if you right. give him 20 carries, does it matter? It probably just ruins everybody. It doesn't mean play Tony Pollard. Yeah. And let's keep in mind, this is 425 kickoff. So um, we can and should be um, late swapping these decisions based on how chalky or how uh, contrarian these plays end up and how uh, uh, much we're chalky or contrarian early. Um, speaking of early and spending salary elsewhere, uh, Ravens versus the Seahawks, uh, game total of 44 and a half is slightly ticked up since yesterday. Ravens favored by six with a 25.25 team total Seahawks, 19.25 as the underdogs. Um, Daigle, we'll start with you. Uh, you were right on the Gus bus call last week. Um, awesome game from him. Uh, is this a spot where we go back to Gus or are you looking a little bit to Lamar's rushing in this spot and uh, him playing against this Seattle zone defense, whether that opens things up more for Zay or Mark Andrews? It was the right game script to chase since the Ravens were nine and a half point favorites. Now they're six point favorites, still a, a really good spot where I do kind of worry about the Seahawks allowing this entire game to get there too. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned, Seahawks now playing zone coverage at a league high, 87% of their snaps since they've returned from their bye with everyone healthy, Devin Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, Jamal Adams. They've been playing zone on 83% of their snaps, and Lamar has been the king against zone coverage. 78% completion rate, which is a league high, and eight yards per attempt. Not only that, but we think he has a major ceiling here because the handful of times Seattle's played a rushing quarterback this year, everyone got there. Daniel Jones Mm -hmm. had 66 rushing yards. Josh Dobbs had 43 and a touchdown. And P.J. Walker, even last week, had 27 rushing yards. So it's pretty clear that it's Lamar and then I would think Mark Andrews. The issue with Zay Flowers, he pops into all optimals and he he looks sexy because he still has this team I target share, a 26.6% target share against zone coverage, but zero end zone targets. They literally go to everyone else, like Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, Mark Andrews leads the team in end zone zone targets. They go to everyone else except Zay Flowers, where we get our fantasy points at. So he pops because he gets the opportunity, but like he's actually an easy fade every week for tournaments because he has to score from outside the red zone. Um, And so, yeah, I do like Lamar and Andrews in particular in this one. Yeah, uh, I and agree. Going back to your point of like the short slate, like, and I don't necessarily think like we have to be like double bully tight end, um, but kind of similar to the point that I made about AJ Brown is that there is a very good chance that like Andrews can like lap the field on the slate, right? So again, no Kelsey on the slate, Hawkinson catching balls from a backup tight end. Um, from a positional value standpoint, I could see um, Andrews 
uh, very much being the guy that gets us there. Uh, Karain on the defensive side, or on the I'm sorry, on the on the Seattle side, the the thing that stands out here with the matchups is just how good the Ravens defense has been. So even though this is a slate where a lot of low scores, this game has one of the relatively high game totals in it. Does the Ravens defense prevent us from uh stacking the Seattle side, even though we saw DK come back last week and, and like he luckily, as you mentioned in, in the walkthrough, like didn't draw a ton of doubles. So that would, you know, that would assume we have some upside if he's not drawing doubles there with JSN getting a little more work in the offense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think that might have just been um the way that defense played it. Uh mm-hmm. as opposed, you know, like I don't know that we're gonna get that from the Ravens necessarily, but um, I did think it was kind of interesting because one of the one of the reasons uh, I mentioned that is that I think Metcalf can actually kind of help Lockett in some ways because he does generally draw a lot of double coverage and Lockett also tends to draw a lot, a lot of double coverage. And so just felt like when Metcalf was out, it didn't necessarily help Lockett all that much because then he became the clear focal point of defensive coverage. But the issue here is that like this defense is just it's really good. And specifically, it's really good in coverage. Their pass rush is like fine. But they they're first in PFF's coverage grades. They're second in EPA allowed per dropback. They're allowing the least, uh, the, the lowest rate of explosive 15 plus yard passes. So this is like a pretty difficult matchup. I think the the reason to have some optimism is that Geno Smith, when you look at his success rate this season, is like pretty close to Patrick Mahomes. He's actually ahead of Lamar Jackson. Uh, so the the like percentage of plays where he's producing positive EPA is actually impressive but he hasn't been all that efficient generally success rate is the stickier metric so that's kind of a positive regression candidate type of vibe um normally we look for positive regression in, in good matchups to pop mm-hmm. up but could geno smith surprise and and produce well in this this game i think so it does it's expensive then when we get to the salary part though like geno doubles don't make me feel very comfy <laughs> at all but nothing on the slate does so yeah, yeah, you could talk me into that, plus like maybe an Andrew Springback. Yeah, so so I guess my my follow-up question would be here is if we are trying to stack this game. And again, like I, I do think this is a spot where like we don't ignore matchup, but like Gino getting there is the type of thing we want to be chasing when there's only 10 games and everything's gonna be um expected to be low scoring. We need like some of these outlier performance or hope for them. Would you consider like Gino dubs with JSN, even though like he's not seeing like a, a crazy snapper target share. Um, or even would we mix in like a Charbonnet? He's getting a lot of uh Pete Carroll's been talking him up, obviously. He's been getting a lot of Twitter uh love for that. Uh, or or does Charbonnet just kind of turn the backfield more messy than we, we would like? I think for now it, it turns the backfield more messy than we would like. I mean, Pete Carroll's been talking nonstop about Charbonnet this week. Um, Coach Speak Index has been posting all these clips that I'd recommend checking out. It was quite funny. I mean, he, he's honestly just repeating himself. He just keeps saying the same thing over and over, but he clearly yeah. really believes it. He, he loves Zach Charbonnet. He's psyched he's out there. And he's talked so about I don't, three days in a row. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's honestly crazy. But, you know, then, then you have like, when you have stuff like this, I think it's helpful to try to understand like what's what's going on with these players. Like what what is Charbonnet bringing to the table that Walker is not? Walker has had a poor success rate for his entire career. He is mm-hmm. inconsistent. He's a boom-bust runner, right? Uh, there was a chart today. I forget. I, I'll i try to um, retweet this later. But 
there was a someone had a chart today of um guys who are hit or teams that are hitting the like designed hole on run plays and Kenneth Walker it's mostly Kenneth Walker it's the Seahawks but they're just way over they're like the designed uh the the rate at which they're hitting kind of the designed gap for a run play is very low um they're they're like they're bouncing runs a lot if they're not following the design of the play they're looking for the home run right that's kind of what Kenneth Walker's doing it's leading to low success rate it's leading to some explosive runs too that's kind of the that's kind of the um Kenneth Walker package maybe Carol's like a little sick of that all the time he might want to get some more of a downhill guy in there but I don't know they're going to turn it over to Charbonnet because Walker does bring that boom bust element I was going to say a lot of our um a lot of our data, a lot, a lot of what we do with fantasy doesn't always translate to what um, we think the coaches are going to do or should do. It, that seems like a metric that a coach would be very aware of, very intuitively, yeah. and a reason why he's talking up Charbonnet, right? Like, like I can see a coach being like, if you're not running the right play, like get the hell off the yeah. field. Exactly. It's, it's really only pertinent for this slate too, because the price, like, margin is wild even in a timeshare like mm-hmm. on a week where no cheap run well i shouldn't say no cheap running back we'll get to the chalk running backs in a bit but in a week where like you can you can struggle to find someone you think has a ceiling under or around 5k on DraftKings. let's say like charbonnet's 4300 and ken walker's 7k that is yep. wild for a timeshare Yep, and same on FanDuel. It's a $2,400 difference. Um, We're very rarely playing a 5K back on FanDuel, and we do have that option. Um, Obviously, Charbonnet is probably going to play a little better on DK because of uh, pass catching and whatnot, but uh, that that gap is crazy uh the the cash game values in this game lamar zay and andrews all popping on both sites um zay probably going to be a cash game lock on both sites the coin flip this week i think in cash games is going to be uh lamar versus jalen hurts i I think it's a pay up for quarterback cash week um so i'm gonna ask you guys to do my homework for me because uh this is probably the question that i'll get the most on sunday morning straight up who do you like lamar or hurts this week i Given the ownership, I also worry about his knee injury a little more than others. Um, I don't think I want to play Hurts in tournaments this week. Yeah, Hurts got I'm, there through the air last week. I know, like, which I'm, was yeah. which I did not love. Even though I got the I was on the right side of it, like he got there through the air like almost exclusively, which was kind it was of was also like an entirely different defense he's playing. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, much closer to the Jets. We're gonna put you under pressure, and we're gonna see what you can do deep. And uh, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll say Hurts just because, yeah. yeah, I'll say Hurts. I, I think I just trust this game a little bit more. Like I could see the Ravens. I could see the Seahawks really struggling against a great defense. The Ravens, we know, will salt games away with the run game. Um, the Cowboys are a real weird team, but the the Eagles, if behind, will will pass. And, yeah, I think, I think they'll be I, okay in yep. neutral script too. I do think I like DK Metcalf a lot more than Corain. And it's just because he's one of those guys mm. that is due for regression at some point. Like before the buy, Tyler Lockett had a higher target share. But since the buy in their last three games, uh, DK Metcalf has a 29% share to Lockett's 21%. He also leads the team in both red zone and end zone targets. And he hasn't scored a touchdown in that time. And so that's why like his expected fantasy points are literally double more than what he's actually scored. Like he's do 
you know, chasing regression of the regular season is really tough. It's why it's always such an easy conversation mm-hmm. to lean on and best ball throughout the offseason because you have a full year for it sure. to happen. But mm-hmm. uh, in season, it's hard to pinpoint. But if we can pinpoint it, uh, Metcalf is the one that's due for a nuclear spot soon here. And so that's why I think I like mm-hmm. him better, especially at a cheaper discounted price more so than normal because he hadn't scored touchdowns and he hasn't garnered ownership for it. That's why the algorithm has pushed him down. And although the Ravens have been good in their secondary, one, they haven't played anyone in the last five weeks. So we don't know necessarily like how leaky they might be. Their last five quarterbacks they faced are Dorian Thompson Robinson, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill, Road Jared Goff, and Josh Dobbs. And the they've still been somewhat susceptible to good wide receiver ones. Like even George Pickens a few weeks ago got 130 and one on them. Amon Ross St. Brown got 13 catches for 102 yards. So we think opposing wide receivers can get here if they're given volume, which is why I do like Metcalf here. Um, How are you playing that? Are you, are you trying to stack Gino? Are you doing minis or are you just solo? I worry about the Seahawks passing offense still. So I'm probably only playing Metcalf, whether it's one-offs or Lamar stacks or skinnies with Andrews and DK. DK is just so cheap. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, Lamar's $200 more than Hertz on DraftKings. Hertz is $400 more than Lamar on FanDuel. So I promise to be as wishy washy as ever on Sunday morning with your questions. <laughs> um, Colts at Panthers is the only other game with a total above 41 points. Um, seven games, 41 or below, only three games, 44 points or higher. Colts are favored on the road by two and a half with a 23 and a half point total Panthers at 21, uh, a four Oh five kickoff. So, um, some late swap ability here, crane. I'll start with you again, as you mentioned in the walkthrough, we've seen the Colts be very flexible with their game plans and, and how, uh, they want to attack on offense. It would seem that this week against the Panthers who are one of the biggest run funnels, uh, in the league that they would lean that way, especially with JT trending um, towards more and more work. So question one, do they lean that way? And two, is this finally the JT complete takeover or do they keep mixing in Zach Moss? I think they are definitely going to keep mixing in Zach Moss, but I'm not sure we should care because this really is like a spot where you could see a huge level of rushing volume yeah uh there's different types of run funnels right there's teams where you're running on them like the browns are a run funnel because teams don't want to deal with the passing defense they're just like it's just a problem and so they're trying to avoid a problem the panthers don't have a good pass defense they're just a horrendous run defense so you have teams attacking relentlessly this weakness on the panthers side we know the colts will shift to the run game We've, they've gone aggressively run heavy. I mean, they dropped a 48% um, pass rate, 48% pass rate on the Browns. That's 14% below their expected pass rate in that game. They went uh, 10% below expected against the Titans, which was supposed to be a pass funnel. And they were like, we can run on you. And then they did. Um, they had a 54% pass rate against the Rams in a game where they had a 75% expected pass rate. That was with Richardson, but... Still, this team is down to run the ball. They don't always do that. They kind of shift around. They've gone pass heavy at other times too. But this is a game 
where it would just make all the sense in the world for them to go high volume on the ground. The fact that they have Moss, I think, almost reinforces our confidence that that they will attack this through the running game because they, they're not worried about overloading Taylor. Um, I think we could see Taylor get a ton of work here, like yeah. even with even with Moss mixing in, like, I, I don't even really consider that a major problem this, this week. I, it's almost a good thing. Cause I think it'll pe- keep people off this a little bit. This is, this strikes me as one of those spots. I know Taylor will be somewhat chalky. So it's not like people are like completely. Overlooking I don't this, know but... if he will be that chalky though. He's $8,000 on DK on FanDuel. Maybe he's only 6,400 and I don't know if people are going to pay 8k on, on DK for him. Like, like some people will, there's only so many running backs to go around. But like he might be like the running back eight or nine in terms of ownership on DK. I will be paying eight K. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. He had fifty percent of the carries in week seven. That was eighteen carries, and I think we could be seeing something like that where he's getting like, but instead of fifty, maybe he gets sixty. Right? We can get him over twenty carries in this spot against a horrendous run defense. Yeah. On an offense that should be capable of like moving the sticks, Gardner Minshew hasn't been horrendous, right? He's not Zach Wilson. He's semi-capable. So we're going to have an offense that's, you know, chugging along, driven by the running game. We need to get a little lucky that he's he's in there scoring the touchdowns and stuff. We could get sniped by, by Zach Moss for sure. But I don't know. If he hits this week, it's going to look real, real obvious in retrospect. So so my, my thing is, because that's the way I viewed it initially. Uh, but then I had to look from the top down and like you just phrased it as he got 50% of the carries in week seven. Zach Moss also got 50% of the carries in week seven. Right. So why right. are we, why are we creating that bias in our own heads psychologically and instead not saying Zach Moss is cheaper. Let's just play the cheaper back in a timeshare. Well, so because they gave JT a shit ton of money, and they probably need to take Zach, over at some point. I mean, Zach Moss has been so explosive. Yeah, yeah. he has He's been awesome. Zach Zach Moss has been awesome this year. That's why like, I'm not. They can't, I, they can't separate their touches because they can't take Zach mm-hmm. Moss off the field. He like well, JT had a they, forty yard run in the first in the first quarter. Zach Moss had a forty yard run in the third quarter last week. What what I like about this, and why I think I'm ready to to take the leap with Taylor is that he had a 42% success rate last year or last, sorry, last week, which is good. And that's, that's been the area where he's been inconsistent. He only has a a 33% success rate in 2023. Uh, You know, is he kind of probably working back up to speed fully there? Uh, But he was very consistent for them last week and he outperformed Zach Moss in rush yards over expected last week. And then like, if we zoom out, it's Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. Like I know Zach Moss has been awesome this season, but they gave him the money. I think they they're kind of looking for my read on this has always been like, as soon as Moss starts to look shaky at all, we'll see things kind of move to Taylor, like Taylor moving to Taylor's like sort of the status quo thing. And Moss has to constantly fend that off. He didn't really fend it off fully last week. So Moss will have a big role. I think he'll probably have like 40%, maybe 45% of the carries. But I think we see a small incremental shift to to Taylor here. And he's still the guy I want to bet on the talent with over Moss. I mean, maybe that's unfair to Moss at this point, but that's that's where I'm at. My my contention would be, um, again, to what you said, Daigle, is that like if if and when Pollard does get to 
let's say he never gets to 75% share. If when he gets to 65 to 70% backfield share, we're not going to get him at sub 20% again, most likely in spots mm-hmm. like this. So I, I think if this is the week where it does shift and we do get him at say 15% compared to Camara Jacobs and I don't know, like uh, who else? Tony Pollard, I guess 25, 30%. Like that's a pretty good discount on ownership. I'm not, and, and I'm not even, I'm not even disagreeing. I, I'm yeah. just saying it's the, it's literally the same thing. The conversation I had in my head all week long is like, am I creating my own barrier here? Like, why am I favoriting yeah. one player when the other player has been just as good and is cheaper? Like, literally, Moss has the fourth most explosive runs out of every running back in the league. He's been awesome. He's been and awesome. He has, he has a ceiling. That's the thing. Like, he doesn't. Yeah. Like, the, he's yeah. been great. So, and he's cheaper. I don't know. I'm and he's not going to be played at all. And he's not going to be played because play everyone's telling themselves the same story with Jonathan Taylor. And that's why I had to step yeah. back. No, I, I feel you. I mean, there's going to be a lot more ownership on, on Taylor for sure. I to, to TJ's point, like, we're going to see – I mean, if we knew that he was going to get, like, 65% of the carries on this slate, wouldn't he be, like, 65% owned in, in small field tournaments? Like, he would be – he would be the most popular running back on the slate. I mean, we like, would have guy, to, we like, feel like you have to play him. Camara, Camara and Jacobs are going to get ownership because again, like they're the only obvious 20 touch guys on the slate. Uh, we know Jacobs has been massively inefficient. Camara is going to he has to worry about um uh uh t- Taysom uh, vulture again. Um and then all the other guys just getting propped up just because like there aren't any other um players on the slate like like Bijan Ramondre DeAndre Swift um they would all be very low owned on any other slate and they're probably gonna be sniffing 20 percent this week and I'm not even you know let's group Bijan in with these other guys I'm not scared of Dude, uh, we'll get there we'll get there in a bit but yeah, yeah. I mean 60 40 that'd be awesome I guess I, that's what I'm not even projecting for that since the last three games we've seen Jonathan Taylor 50 percent 52 and a half percent and 52 percent that's been his touch share uh, among the running back touches on the Colts, he has not come close to sixty yet. So sixty. Yeah, no, he hasn't. It, it would be it would be really nice. That's that input volatility kind of bet that I was talking yeah. about earlier. I, but I would also note he's been used in the receiving game, and um, he's been awesome in the receiving game, which so, isn't like necessarily what we expect. And and I think another reason to think JT still he's still flashing some JT stuff. He has one point six three yards per hour, and that's running back six. Like. He is making plays. It just hasn't been as much as a rusher yet. That's the that's the one edge that has popped out to me is these th- last three weeks when he's been at supposedly full health. Uh, JT does have ten red zone targets to Zach Moss's one. Like that's where they're actually featuring him. So that's the one caveat I noted. But again, you know Zach Moss, as we're showing, is coming in two to five percent. I could see myself, especially like in smaller fields that I play, high stakes. Uh, yeah, like 500 to 1K entrance. I could see myself playing Zach Moss for sure. If either of these running backs are explosive and they pop off some big runs, it could be a catalyst for a big game on both sides. Again, not a lot of high scoring expected on the slate. Um, if we take out the expensive quarterbacks, Minshew is actually for first top quarterback value on DK. Even if we don't take them out, he's the, he's the top DK value, um, but the top cheap value if we take both of them out. And then 
uh, Dago, as you mentioned on, on the podcast with Paulson yesterday, we saw the Panthers up their early down pass rate coming out of the bye, and now they're facing a Colts defense that is the only team ranked in the bottom 10 and schedule just points to every single skill position. Uh, so do we have do we see a little upside in, in both passing games, but especially for um, the, the Bryce Young side with Thielen and even like Jonathan Mingo here? I was researching the Colts running back so heavily because this is a <laughs> yeah. game – I don't know, like the Saints Colts last week. I eventually got onto five players. Derek Carr got there. I picked a lobby over Rashid Shahid, even though I talked about Rashid Shahid because I'm a donkey who doesn't stick to my own convictions. I just wanted to <laughs> join. I wanted to be cool and join my friends and play Crystal, play Crystal Lobby. <laughs> and it bitten me in the ass. And I'm still we're hanging out again. You want to you want to swing by again? We're we're hanging I'm out again. So upset at myself. Um, <laughs> but but I, I don't know yet if I'm playing Colts defense and the running backs or onslaughting everyone here because we know Gus Bradley, again, going back to defenses that we know only play zone coverage, Gus Bradley doesn't get away from cover three and zone coverage, over 80% of their defensive snaps. And Bryce Young has been miserable against zone coverage this year. Uh, 25th in completion rate, 5.7 yards per attempt, no touchdowns and three picks. And so did Thomas Brown also fix that out of their bye? They did get more aggressive. They passed on 67% of their early downs, whereas they were at mm-hmm. 45%. Mm-hmm. They were running into their offensive line at will before the buy on early downs, which set them up for impossible third down distances to move the chains. So they're making it easier. But does that help Bryce Young against zone coverage? I don't know, which is why I'm tempted to run that 2% Colts defense out there yeah. as a correlation to Chalky, yeah. Jonathan Taylor, or Zach Moss. Yeah, that, think, that was my favorite defense of the week. Is is what we get to. I like Colts defense, and whether you're on the Moss side or the JT side, um, yeah, I could see the Colts rolling in this one too. Um, Daigle, you teased the Saints a little bit, so let's get into that game. Saints are huge favorites uh, this week against the Bears. Eight and a half point favorites, the biggest favorites on the slate. Twenty five point total. Um, Bears are. Uh, kind of in shambles with Badgett there, but we'll get into that shortly. Dago, my question for you, uh, we see Kamara as one of the best values on the slate, but he is also um, the, uh, can be the victim of these Taysom vultures. I want to say that like Saints are the obvious pivot here, their passing game off of uh, Kamara, but they're third in cumulative passing game ownership right now. Like Alave and Michael Thomas probably get some ownership just because they're such big favorites against a bad defense. So do you see someone like Rashid Shahid as a leverage player? Do you have any like lean on how you want to be playing the Saints offense this week? He's so good, but even Shahid got there on just, 50% of routes yeah. run like we need yeah. more from him and they have shown I've talked about this in the past they have shown that they will run him out there for 80% route participation when they are trailing which they do a lot because mm-hmm. they're a bad team but this is not the game where they're going right. to be trailing against Tyson Bajan uh, he, he just doesn't have a prayer under under center right now so I, I don't think I need to pivot to Shahid. I have been toying around with Taysom Hill admittedly mm-hmm. Because, again, it's an ugly slate. If there's a week where you can get away chasing a Taysom Hill, sealing it tight end, jammed in between like T.J. Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard, it is absolutely this week as a pivot off of Alvin Kamara. Or I know, know, Corrine, you love Chris Olave this week. I'm not even saying I don't love him. I'm really scared that's the play that comes in at like 25%. I'm just like, 
I don't want to do it at 25%, man. I don't think yeah, I, I need you. to. Uh, I think he's going to get steamed heavily just because everyone sees it coming. Yeah, it's the obvious leverage play, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. If we if we take the ownership out of it, um, since he was your cover cover boy, Crane, uh, let's just kind of talk through why Alave could explode this week. I think the first reason is that the Bears are not that bad against the run, but they're very bad against the pass. Terrible. So yeah. So how do you attack this? If you're the Saints, who have been a balanced team, they're sort of a conservative team in some ways, but they have not been one of these very run-heavy teams, actually. They're they're kind of more similar to, like, the Rams in terms of their pass rate over expected overall. Um, so I don't think that they are going to, like – like, the Falcons would attack the Bears on the grounds just because that's how they play. But the Saints are open, at least, to, to going through the air here. Bears 31st in EPL out per drop back. They're second in EPL out per rush. So like good against the run this year. Um, that was not the case last year. And so I'm hoping that, you know, that's going to keep people like that, that kind of outdated view of the Bears will keep people, you know, feeling comfy with Camara there. Um, it was a fine play for sure, but but let's have that chalk be as, as much as possible. So we can play Olave. The reason I want to play Olave, in addition to this being kind of a passing matchup, um, is I mean his underlying profile remains very strong, even though he hasn't really been able to convert the air yards. He's got a six point eight yards per target, which is really bad. Um, but his and that's leading to a yards per hour run of only one point seven one. If you use like a league average yards per target for his super deep fourteen point two a dot, we'd be talking about a guy with a 2.45 yards per route run. So if he's if he was just converting air yards at like a solid rate, he'd just be so much more efficient. Part of the reason that he's not doing that is because they're not using him in the splash zone. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks, these downfield over the middle of the targets being so valuable. He's more of a sideline guy, and that I wish they weren't doing that. Against the Bears, though, that might not be such a problem because they've actually allowed deep sideline targets um, deep sideline explosive passing plays to hit against them at the third highest rate this year. Only the commanders and the Lions have been worse. So maybe we get there with a role that's suboptimal on Olave for sure, but it's still super strong. Like it's, you know, I wish they'd target him more over the middle of the field, but um, he's still getting very, very valuable target volume. And he's also 78th in open score as well. So he's kind of doing his part of this. He's getting open. We need Carr to uh, look his way a little bit more. But in a good passing matchup, maybe some of those first reads, he is pulling the trigger on a little bit more easily. And we know that Olav is going to get those first reads at a really high rate he has all season. That's um, that's the issue, too, in Kamara's role in this spot. Because, yes, the Bears have been good against the run. 3.2 yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. But they are getting hammered by running backs in the passing game, it, like running backs in particular. And what do you think Kamara is going to do since he leads all running backs and targets? He's going to eat them alive. Uh, they're allowing 62 receiving yards per game and 10 and a half yards per catch. Like Austin Eckler last week or on Sunday night defines it perfectly. He ran for 15 carries, 29 yards, but he had 94 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty much what Kamara is probably going to do. So I, I haven't decided how I'm going to play it. Again, I think it's going to be a complete wiping of the floor. 
bears just get them the hell off the TV as quick as possible. And so how do we get there? Is it Olave? Is it Taysom Hill, who even with Jawan Johnson back, they gave him six red zone carries and three inside the 10-yard line to possibly vulture Alvin Kamara as well? I'm trying to figure out how to play it. Yeah, I will say even if we are worried about Olave getting steamed, um, we should get Derek Carr at or below 5%. Um, that would, I, I think you could play him obviously with Kamara and Olave because obviously Kamara uh, has the biggest um, pass catching role um, in the league among running backs. I guess my only other question would be, uh, Corinne, you mentioned that uh, Bears are extremely run heavy, have been even more so with Bajan under center. Can we just like chase DJ more garbage time here? I don't, I, I just worry about DJ more ceiling with mm-hmm. Bajan because he's been like this downfield playmaker and Bajan, that's not really like they're when Bajan's okay. It's cause he's like, they're just calling an insane amount of screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's, I think maybe a couple weeks ago we saw that with DJ Moore and you know, we could get that. We could get him peppered with some screen targets and kind of boost the floor up a little bit, but I'm just very nervous about, what kind of ceiling we're bringing in here. So if I'm playing anyone on the bear size, probably commit and just get tight end taken care of. Uh, yeah, makes sense. And you know, he had 10 targets last week. Uh, but yeah, I, ceiling is really just tough for me to see on the bears right now. That makes sense. I, I could see, I think commit hope to get there through volume, maybe get a touchdown. Um, probably yeah. not going to be like a, a multi-touchdown game on FanDuel. The only thing I would say is that uh, I think he got those targets as they, they hyped them up throughout the week because the Chargers play so much zone defense, and so it makes sense you can find him underneath in the in the holes of the defense. Whereas the Saints usually go all man, like we talked about cornerback wide receiver matchups. It's not even about that for the Saints all year. It's about that Marshawn Lattimore, for example, because of the way they play defense, spends ninety percent of his snaps on the boundary only, which is why you avoid the outside, just because like he's going to stay there. Uh, yeah. The Saints play so much man defense that I I don't think it's a good spot for Komet personally. Yeah, if I if I decide I want to double car or something, I don't think I'm gonna lose sleep over not bringing back. Bears. I just don't bring it back. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Camara's our top value on both sides across all positions. He is in the DK optimal. Uh, just depending on where you're spending up, Olave is a fringe cash game play. Just don't know if you um, need to be paying for wide receivers in cash this week. The only other team with a uh, respectable team total on the slate is the Browns. Eight-point favorites over the Cardinals, 23-point team total, but in a game with only 37.5-point uh, total. Corrine, with P.J. Walker, um, looks like he's starting for the Browns. It should remain pretty run heavy against a very bad Cardinals uh, defense. Assuming that PJ Brown kind of sinks the volume of this passing attack, uh, can we? Is, is there anything that suggests that things shift back to Jerome Ford after he played on on a pretty bum ankle last week? Yeah, I mean he saw more work in the second half, and he played. Like I, I think you know early in the week it's like oh he's gonna be out. I remember we, when we were doing waivers, it was like oh Ford might what if they throw him on IR? We got, we got to go get Pierre strong, you know? And then all of a sudden he's playing. And I think this could be one of those input volatility spots where it's like, what if they just, what if it's Jerome Ford again? You know, it's back to that. Um, at 5,300, like that would, that'd be pretty nice. Looks like we got Watson. Um, Schefter announced that Watson will be starting. Oh buddy, trust me, me, me and my largest bet of the week on, Browns might have said it's very aware that the worst quarterback is now back under center. 
All right. Do you guys want to like kind of talk off the cuff what what Watson Watson um, starting it's just, uh, does it's for this just game? David and Joku. Like you can't play David and Joku. Eleven uh, percent yeah. target share this year from Sean Watson. His three best games have come from the backup quarterbacks. He was completely irrelevant from Watson. So that's all you lose in this spot. Amari Cooper goes back. Amari Cooper still led the team just barely, twenty five percent to Elijah Moore's twenty three percent whereas Moore was down to 19% from backup quarterbacks. But it's still really all Amari Cooper. I, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit intrigued by Elijah Moore here. I completely agree on David Njoku. He's been, like, super screen dependent. Um, yeah. And I think that might be – the backup quarterback stuff might be because they're, like, literally calling plays differently to try to get the ball out quickly. Um, but Elijah Moore, 94th percentile open score. Amari Cooper's 34th percentile. One, one thing I also look for here when I'm like, okay, is one guy better at earning targets is the difference between first three targets and targets per route run. Amari Cooper's at exactly the same rate. Like his targets per route run is basically play calling driven, I think. Whereas Elijah Moore hasn't had a strong first three target rate, but his, he, his targets per route run is 4% higher at 19%, which is pretty solid. So... I, like this dude should be getting more uh, work at at a cheap price tag, um, potentially pivot off of Demario Douglas chalk, thirty nine hundred. I'm interested in more. Uh, I feel like I'm getting enough of a discount salary wise to you know deal with the fact that they are going to call more plays with Cooper in mind. But I think more might be the better receiver. Uh, Amari Cooper is popping in the four for four breakout model, uh, this week and the announcement of Watson starting huge shift in the game total went from 37 and a half all the way up to 38. So we did that really (laughs) garbage against the, against the, was the Colts when he started through five passes. It uh, it did that garbage the last time he was about to start too, and then he you know threw five passes, yeah. one interception, one dropped interception, and got hurt. Um, against um, the best defense or one of the best defenses in the league, there are a couple values in Amari Di Mercado and Trey McBride. Um, but obviously the matchup is really tough, and then Clayton Tuna quarterback uh makes it uh even tougher. So I mean, Daigle, do we? do we just go with the cheap volume on these guys uh, or is the floor just too scary for you to touch uh, them, even though they are extremely uh, cheap and, and do have good volume outlooks? Which players are we talking about now? Uh, De Mercado and O'Brien. I don't think De Mercado is going to play. Um, mm-hmm. I saw some comments too, from a lot of people concerned about him, but back-to-back DMPs uh, Wednesday and Thursday, it doesn't seem like he's going to be healthy for this one. And then, so I, I don't know who you play in this game. Probably no one, to be honest. I'm not even interested in Trey McBride from Clayton Toon, like yeah. against against the defensive player of the year and Miles Garrett uh, at this Browns defense that just wipes the floor with everyone. We don't, we don't think the Cardinals can reach their, you know, 15, 16 point team total. So I don't, I don't look to play anyone in this one, honestly. And yes, then I think the more, in, I think the more interesting one, because we are going to get, uh, Chuba Hubbard and Devin Singletary, at least being the two guys people pay down for. My concern is that for Chuba Hubbard, the way he played was how Miles Sanders got benched and that your touches didn't matter because you were so bad. And now it's, it's, <laughs> it's an equally as bad of spot 
this week against the Colts front seven, which is a pass volume. Everyone's getting there through the air, but in terms mm. of running back, still just 3.9 yards per carry allowed uh, uh, bottom or their 11th and limiting explosive runs to opposing running backs as well. So still an above average rushing defense that teams attack instead. So I feel like between Devin Singletary playing against the Bucks front seven and Chuba Hubbard, I don't need to chase those guys in tournaments. I don't think yeah. I need to get on them. Yeah, I, I I, just don't see how you do, to be honest. Corrine, your thoughts? Singletary and Hubbard. Yeah, I was going to bring up Singletary because um, I want to talk a little bit more about the Bucks texans game. Um, yeah. yeah, let's jump but, to it. Let's jump yeah. to the Bucks texans game. <clears throat> I think that game's kind of interesting. Um, the Texans really let me down last week those those coaches pff bobby um you know maybe maybe not as analytically minded as we were hoping there come on man you gotta you gotta be aggressive against uh the panthers lose that game uh went real conservative they got real tight but maybe the buccaneers are able to push them a little bit more uh they don't have a run game so they're gonna have trouble attacking and and being kind of as conservative um and, and that should help maybe keep the game like a little bit fun. And it's basically just sort of the same thesis as last week where uh, Tank Dell's very good. Nico Collins is very good. They tack over the middle of the field a lot. That leads to uh, potential for big plays um, and, you know, kind of a Dalton Schultz also pretty heavily involved. So, you know, you can kind of do one of the receivers plus the tight end for double stacks. You got a Mike Evans bring back that I think looks pretty interesting. Um, you could do Chris Godwin if you wanted. So it's just like a game that salary wise, I think works out pretty well for, you know, double stacks and bring backs. Um, you could even play through the Baker side too. I, I think that's totally viable. Um, but also just want to get your guys thoughts on Singletary, given that Pierce, uh, I don't think we have a status yet, but he's been DNP both days. Um, and also was kind of losing the backfield a little bit. Um, you know, it kind of devolved into a committee to begin with. So we could see Singletary, which is kind of what he does, right? He just slowly over time just takes over a backfield. It's like yeah. you know, this creeping ivy that you just can't control. And eventually he will strangle strangle out the other plants and have that backfield to himself. So I think we're in the process of that. But does he have any interest for you guys? I will say this for Singletary. Um, because it is a short slate and because ownership is so flat Texans are actually projecting as our highest own cumulative passing game. Um, and there's nobody projecting for hmm. huge ownership, but Dell Nico Collins, Dalton Schultz are all, all projecting for uh, moderate ownership and no other team has like three pass catchers doing that. So I, I do think there is some leverage there. It's not like an obvious leverage off one player, but the passing game should get, pretty heavy ownership relative to all the other teams in a cumulative sense. So I do like uh, the play from that standpoint. Uh, yeah. So for against the, uh, for the Texans and Devin Singletary, like the spot last week was against the Panthers. We talked about how teams explode on them. And they couldn't even get it done because they are 30th and yards created before contact because their offensive line and play calling in terms of the running game are terrible. And so, like, we can't say one player is now going to get there when no player for the Texans has gotten there because of the way their offense is schemed. And so I, I 
uh, in a tougher spot now too against mm. the Bucks front seven. So I really don't care to play Singletary in tournaments because I don't feel like I'm losing anything. I, I think that's like being the same price on DraftKings as Charbonnet. That's just the pivot I make because I think Charbonnet has a higher ceiling. Yeah, you guys I mean, think I, when like all these Shanahan guys get together in the off season, like when D'Amico Ryan's walks in, everyone's there's just gonna be like everyone stops talking. It's like this you're supposed to be able to run the ball. This whole <laughs> system's built on being able to run the ball. Like, what's going on? It's just because they do this this do the same garbage where and Bobby Sloak has done a lot of good things, but like they're top five in early down run rate. So all they do is run to their center's ass on first and second down. They give CJ Stroud a, uh, a third down and distance. that's over seven yards. I believe he has the longest down and distance the entire league on third down. And then like, he's so good that he makes it happen for the most part, but that's not sustainable. He can't keep being that amazing, especially as he continues developing. So it's not good news. The Texans are, that's an offense. I do worry. Like you said, TJ, the way it's working out for tournaments is that when we flip our cards, that's one of the ones I'm going to flip. And I see like 17% CD Stroud. I'm just going to kick myself in the ass because like, gosh, I don't want to fall for that trap. I'm worried about. I just change CJ Stroud. I was going to tell him later. I'm not. I'm I don't want to see that either. I'm going to, I'm going to have to pay attention to the weekend for everyone for the Sunday morning discord because I'm, I'm worried about CJ Stroud, uh, Dak Prescott and, I initially was worried about Mac Jones. I don't think anyone wants to come along for the ride with me, though. So it's okay. No, I'll, just take Mac, I'll take Mac Jones. That's fine. Talk, talk a little bit about Mac Jones because uh, obviously commanders have just been uh, the easiest team to pass against in the league. And this is the only other game. That <laughs> they just we traded their that. defensive line away. <laughs> yeah, <too>. yeah. Gave <laughs> away the line. And uh, only other game with a total of at least 41 points. Uh, DeMar DeMarcado. Uh, I'm sorry. Um uh demario uh douglas is going to be one of the best values of the slate uh so Diggle, talk a little bit about the pats this week we talked about ugly slate is and how you're not scared of anyone so if you're going to play a week with mac jones it's this week because every d every opposing quarterback since week two that excludes josh dobbs in the season opener against week one everyone since week two has had a top 10 finish against the commander's defense under center they've averaged 290 passing yards and two and a half touchdowns per game they are absolutely miserable i think what's happening they are so bad i think what's happening though honestly is that like patrick mahomes when his ownership is condensed no one knows who to stack mac jones with and i'm Mm -hmm. not even scared of demario douglas in tournaments demario douglas is wandale robinson he's a 2.6 yard depth target he's not going to beat me in tournaments i don't care but we don't know where else to go since Devontae Parker's injured and they still use three tight ends. Pharaoh Brown is on the injury report. So I'm just kind of, I'm kind of waiting to see like where else I can go with Matt Jones. Cause I don't know how else to play him outside of Demario Douglas, but because everyone gets there, Tyrod was the QB six, two weeks ago with two sixty seven and a couple touchdowns. That was the week I told Corrine to draft him in battle Royale. Desmond Ritter got over 300 yards against the commander's defense. Literally everyone gets there. Matt Jones is getting there in an ugly week. I just don't know where the ball is going. I'm trying to figure it out. Well, Matt Jones doesn't know where the ball is going. That's the whole problem <laughs> with this offense. Jalen Rager ran the second most routes last week for the Patriots. Jalen Rager. They did, they it's did like, lose. It's news he's on the Patriots, isn't it? Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. I don't know yet. Hunter yeah, Henry. You're not. You're not going to figure it out because this is, they don't have anyone. This is a, the, the worst offensive personnel but- in the league. But but Mac Jones still has like two. It's only two I know, but he has two top ten finishes this week, including an overall QB two finish. Like he's already shown a ceiling this year twice. 
after chase. T- take this for yeah. what it's worth because all these guys are projecting Make very low. After Demario Douglas, uh, we are projecting Devontae Parker as the second highest scoring uh, wide receiver. Play. On <laughs> but I mean, yeah, he's a concussion, doesn't he? Yeah, is he not going to play? Okay, so, uh, I so think it, that would leave Juju and Rager after that. He returned to practice today, but it's very shaky. And then Juju last week, it was his first game back from his two week two game absence from concussion, and he ran around on only thirty six percent of dropbacks, despite uh, both Bourne and Parker getting injured in that game. Plus, like Tyquan Thornton's going to be activated. He was healthy scratch last yeah. week. Oh God. Uh, I, Buddy, I've been thinking about Mac Jones tight and the ball. tight ends. Yeah, they're running a tight end by committee, which I yeah. think is yeah. just just crushes us. I mean, if at least if we could get tight end taken care of, like you know, we could run an ugly double. But I mean, by the way, of all the hot takes this summer, you know, how did no one do Jalen Rager outscores Juju Smith Schuster? That that would and it hit. It's hitting. Yeah. Um, of those uh, final two games we talked about, uh, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, uh, Demario Douglas, and Pat's defense all popping as cash game plays. Uh, the only play we didn't mention that is uh, looking like uh, a very high-owned cash game play um, is Josh Jacobs. So let's talk about uh, these cash game players that you guys – I'm sorry, these uh, chalk players that you guys like or don't like. Uh, the quarterbacks are probably going to be Hurts and Lamar this week. At running back, Jacobs, Kamara, and Pollard should get a ton of ownership. Wide receiver looks like AJ, Olave, and Demario Douglas will get a lot of ownership uh, at tight end. TJ Hawkinson and Dalton Schultz look like they'll be pretty popular. So, Crane, any guys stand out to you uh, that you will be playing or fading on the chalk side? Hawkinson with a backup quarterback as chalk seems like a very easy fade. Yeah. Uh, Patriots defense seems kind of like bad chalk given that they're not going against a backup quarterback and like half the league is. So, you know, it just feels like a a week where you can, there's like defenses that you can, you can talk yourself into pretty easily. So I don't want to eat that chalk. I get it. You know, how it takes all those sacks, but um, Kamara, I kind of came into this thinking I might fade it. You know, I'm okay. It's a good play. Like it's, it's a very good play. It's not bad chalk at all, but I was thinking maybe I would be fading it. Um, Daigle kind of sold me on it. And now I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'll just do it with a lava instead of this leverage. Uh, it's just a good, he's, he's an objectively good play. There's really no, he is. He is an objectively him, good play. Except to get off ownership. And those are always the right. toughest because right. we're getting off of it just to play the game. I don't know. Exactly. I, I really don't know what to do with it yet. Yeah. Is there anyone on that list that you'll be uh, heavy on uh, Daigle? Uh I'll be fading Josh Jacobs. I know that for yeah. sure. Because like you can't tell me the spot matters. We keep going back to these spots with these touch-based running backs, and it's all about the running back. Uh, against the Broncos in week one, Jacobs had two and a half yards per carry. Against the Steelers, he had 3.6 yards per carry. Against the Chargers, he had 3.4 yards per carry. Give him all the spots in the world. L- line them up. Doesn't matter. Take him at 20%. I don't care. So, no, <clears throat> I, I just don't play Josh Jacobs. Yeah, going back to my point on um, just so many good receivers being off the slate or catching balls from backup quarterbacks, um, even if I think AJ is going to come in at like 25%, I think I'll be overweight on AJ because I think he has a great chance to absolutely um, left the field in that game this week. Is there anything with the with the Josh Jacobs thing? Like Antonio Pierce, head coach, you know, breath of fresh air narrative here with Josh McDaniels out of there. Like, is, are you guys interested in that at all? I mean, McDaniels okay. seems – Seems pretty bad. <laughs> like it could, it running, could help. Gosh, we need. I'm about to sound like a 
fucking moron here. Uh, does the running game change though? Like it's still the same issue, right? It is Josh Jacobs Probably, being yeah. unable to break tackles and their offensive line being poor. Is there an actually scheme portion of the running game that changes? They they grade out okay as a in run blocking. Um, I pull up the numbers, but they they're like yeah they're a, they're eighth in run block grade uh, and eleventh in run block win rate. So it's been more Jacobs, but Jacobs has also been efficient as a receiver. So I've always been kind of, and he was he was good as a rusher last year. So I've been like, is this is this real? This inefficiency as a rusher this year? It could. I mean, we have enough sample where it honestly could be. But if yeah, if we go just off vibes, I would assume that the the change is uh, going to favor Devonte Adams the most. That that would okay. be my guess. That's the vibe. Um, base. But that's that's full but- vibe. That's vibe read. Gosh, dude, I'm not even. It's a vibey kind of slate, man. I mean, I'm pretty, that, I'm sold. I, uh, if you I'm feel not, strongly about the, vibes, I honestly, I might not play cash games this week because I don't, I don't even trust. <laughs> I see the optimal, I don't even trust it because I, I hey, just don't like anyone. I don't like anyone. Welcome on this to slate. the real life. I've been, I've been playing cash games in years. It's, it's oh, we're, we've, been, we've, been, we've been getting by. We've been crushing. We're, cr- cash we're crushing cash games. Get yeah. in that Discord. Right. Uh, before we get to our favorite plays of the week, want to remind everybody about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy sports. It's made easy. Go to pricepicks.com slash DFS MVP. Use the code DFS MVP for a first deposit match up to $100. We have a three-player pick them that can 5X your money this week if you are playing along with us, starting with Joe Burrow, 266.5 passing yards against a Buffalo defense that is struggling with injuries. A expected shootout on Sunday night. We like him for more than 266 and a half passing yards. We've talked about Alvin Kamara a ton today. He is arguably the best running back play on the slate. More than 92 and a half rushing and receiving yards combined. He has been the Saints offense. And we've seen Brees Hall struggle in the rushing game, but getting it done in the passing game. We like Brees Hall for more than 17 and a half receiving yards this week against the Chargers, who can give it up to running backs. Again, five extra money with a three-player pick. Don't forget to go to prizepicks.com slash DFSMVP. Use code DFSMVP for a first deposit match for up to $100. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports. Made easy. Let's get into our favorite plays of the week. Karain, talk to me about your guy. I changed it to Derek Carr. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like this. I, I like this. I like this double idea. We just, I mean, maybe it's too comfy. Maybe it's too chalky. I'm getting a kind of semi-chalky think, wide like, receiver. I think Carr offsets their 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 ownership okay. enough. If you, That's if the idea. Be, and be contrarian elsewhere. He has, he has yeah, 300 he, yards in three consecutive games. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a great matchup. And I'll, I'll bring Kamara along for the ride. And, yep. you know, get, hopefully Kamara just scores uh, through the air and not from Taysom Hill. And, you know, what could go wrong? But, but Derek Carr, I think pretty solid play. Uh, Daigle, we Daigle's got the... changed his by by the way about I think four times in the sheet. Yeah, every right. time That's I look, right. it's a new quarterback. I like to cover the slate for everyone. I don't want to hey, go for... back to the same thing. For no one anybody... can see this except us. For for anybody that that complained about the later week content um on four for four this year, this is why we did it. Like even Friday Friday morning, Friday afternoon, we are flip flopping like crazy. Yeah. So uh, you get to see it uh, in action. But uh, Daigle, who is your your fifth choice so far today at quarterback? I know I actually do have five quarterbacks in my pool. I'm pretty sure I'm going to close the week with five quarterbacks. That's it in my pool. And yes, we have talked about all of them. And to round it out, Aiden O'Connell will absolutely Mm -hmm. be in my pool because 4,500, man. 
the bare minimum. Let's start there on, again, an ugly week where I feel like we could get away with a lot here. But more importantly, he is a pivot off of cash game chalk because I am comfortable with Saquon Barkley. We'll talk about him in a second. But for Aiden O'Connell, you can bring him back as well with Devontae Adams because we know that Devontae Adams had a 34% target share the last time he played with Aiden O'Connell. And like, it's not, it hasn't been Adams' problem, obviously. He should have had 170 yards and two touchdowns on Monday night. It was a Jimmy Garoppolo problem. So if Adams is still getting open, and now we get this Giants defense that just blitzes O'Connell's face off and leaves Adams and man coverage on the outside, I feel like he can get there. Uh, Not only that, but it's a very, very, very small sample. But Aiden O'Connell this year has been blitzed on 12 dropbacks. He's completed 90% of those passes for 7.8 yards per attempt. So I feel like we have a sneaky ceiling here, and that's the pivot off Jacobs. Um, if you're playing cash play hurts or Lamar, um, let's go to running back Daigle. You, we haven't talked about Saquon. So why do you trust Saquon this week? Oh, it's cause they're trying to kill him. He has 30, <laughs> touches. <laughs> he has 30 touches per game. 39 last week, 39 last week, 30 touches per game since he returned from injury the last three games. And I think it's because a couple weeks ago, they lost both Gary Brightwell and Eric Gray, who they put on inter reserve. So there's no one but Matt Breida behind him. So they just don't trust anyone else. And now you get like this, what we think think could be a great spot against the Raiders. We need the Raiders to answer back. But like if O'Connell, if Devontae Adams, they're able to answer back, you have your skinny stacks. Like it's just a really, really great spot here. I didn't think I was going to be playing Raiders giant stacks this year. <laughs> Welcome to this slate. Corinne, we got deep into this discussion. Uh, so, I mean, just, just talk us real quick through your guy. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, I was hoping that Daigle would put Zach Moss and we could battle it out down here in the favorite plays again. Still but we, battled, uh, we battled it out pretty good. I, I think this is a week to, to zoom out a little bit. Um, you know, and, and just, it's Jonathan Taylor, an amazing matchup. Okay. Yeah. Like if we knew this heading into the season, we'd be like, Oh my God, like there's nothing. I, I'll eat whatever salary they make me. And I'll, I'll, I'll also eat the chalk on it too. Um, yet he's probably not going to be super chalky and uh, not as expensive as he normally would be. Yeah. Again, um, on FanDuel at, um, 8k, I, I just don't know how many people get there on DK. I think I said it backwards last time, but on DK is a little bit cheaper. So I, I think, uh, he's played a little bit more, but on FanDuel, I mean, I just don't it's know. 6,400. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, DK, played, which... I think he gets played on DK a, a little bit more. Right. It's not super cheap. But... Um, but like, I just don't think people are clicking the AK on, on FanDuel as much. Yeah. Um, and then Camaro, we talked through him. He's just so much of the Saints offense. He's probably uh, the most obvious uh, cash game lock um, at running back this week. Uh, Crane, if you like Derek Carr, you like his best pass catcher. I do. Yeah. One of the things um, I've been trying to think through with the with the matchup stuff and, and these, you know, kind of thinking through first read targets and stuff um, is, you know, when a quarterback is able to go off um, and, and is in a good matchup. It's like it can be not always the case, but it can be that, you know, he's able to kind of execute what the offense is is trying to do a little bit more easily. And this offense is trying to get the ball to Chris Olave. Uh, it hasn't always worked. Carr has to go to, you know, some later reads, hit Rashid Shahid deep instead of Chris Olave, which is tilting, obviously. Um, and that, that probably, that'll probably happen again. But uh, <laughs> but hopefully it doesn't. And Olave uh, 
gets there. I think as a leverage piece, he's interesting and uh, also potentially as a double, fairly chalky double. But yeah, that, that car low owned piece. And then we we get a little contrarian elsewhere. Uh, Dig on the most likely shootout of the week. Not a lot of like places where we think we could get super contrarian, but uh, you found one for us. I don't even mind Michael Gallup being a one-off for the Cowboys side if you're Ooh, playing skinny stacks here. So I misspoke earlier. What I meant to say for CeeDee Lamb was the Eagles are allowing 110 receiving yards per game from the slot, but they're getting beat everywhere because they're also allowing the third most fantasy points per game out wide. And Brandon Cooks has gotten there the last two games in fantasy, but only because he scored a touchdown. He's only seen 12.5% of the team's targets in that span. Whereas in the month prior to the Cowboys' buy, not only did Gallup lead Brandon Cooks 28 to 19 in targets, he also went into the bye with a team high 27.7% target share against the Chargers. And then when they came out past week, I consider that 8.8% target share he had an anomaly considering what he stacked up in the month before the bye. So if you ask me which one is like the bounce back, which one's getting there, uh, I would confidently say Gallup over Brandon Cooks. So I do like Gallup at his salary a lot. That's a that's a really good call for for that game. Uh, I mean, like you said, um, skinnies, but especially if you're looking for unique ways to stack that game. Demario Douglas is the obvious save salary saver um, this week at wide receiver and across the board. Uh, lots of Saints talk so far. Um, Daigle, you like a way to get unique in the Saints game at tight end. Again, ugly slate. If you want to play bully tight end, I think it's more for. DraftKings 2 because 4700 relatively is more palatable than where Taysom Hill comes in at expensive tight end. Although we are chasing only touchdowns, so maybe you could swing it on Fandle too. Fandle at 65, yeah. Yeah, um, but either way, if you think you know we're trying to pivot or poach Alvin Kamara's touchdowns, we still have confidence in Taysom Hill's role because with Juwan Johnson back, yes, his routes did get scaled, Taysom's, from 70% in those two games without Johnson to 48% with him. But that's still quite a bit for not only that, but to have then six red zone carries, 10 in his last three games, three red zone, three carries inside the 10-yard line, six in his last three games, and then also a two dropbacks and 44 passing yards this past week. So he just kind of does it all in an ugly slate at tight end. Can you play Taysom with another Saint, or do you have to play him by himself? Can you play Taysom with Kamara is what I was trying to tell myself. I don't yeah. know. I'm going to sleep on it, though. You definitely can't play him with Carr, though, right? Like, that just I don't think so. Sense. Yeah. He just takes too much because all these carries are not coming from running back position. They're coming from under center. Right. Mm -hmm. But can you play Taysom and Kamara? You That's interesting. That's interesting. Or what if what if that 44-yard pass goes to Alave Kareem? Oh, awesome. Taysom to Alave, the tight end wide receiver stack. Good lord. Uh <laughs> who do you who do you yeah. like at tight end, Corinne? Uh Dallas Goddard. We talked about him earlier. Um it's it's a really ugly tight end slate. Really, it's really bad. ugly. Yeah. Mark Andrews probably uh should get mentioned here as well as kind of just someone who might go overlooked and has a ceiling. But Goddard, it's kind of interesting. You can do some mini stuff. Um I like the chalk tight end of the of the week as well, actually, the guy you're about to mention. Yeah, I mean, Andrews and, and Hawkinson are projecting well, but I just don't see myself paying up for uh, them in cash games where I want to be paying up for quarterback where there just isn't a punt running back. So I think I end up with, with Jake Ferguson in cash lineups this week. 
and just hope for the the shootout to hit and Ferguson to continue his uh, route participation, uh, fourth highest uh, in the league over the last uh, three weeks. Um, DSTs, Pat. Uh, Colts. I like the Colts here. Um, I think Colts JT is something I will be doing. Uh, the Panthers, as we mentioned, were more aggressive under uh, new play caller Thomas Brown, and that's good. You know, we we want to see them emphasize in the past a little bit more on first down and not put Bryce Young in so many kind of long uh, third down situations. So I think overall it's a sharp strategy, but they they had a six percent pass rate of expected overall. 13% on first downs. We want pass attempts against. And so if the Panthers are going to be, they're going to come out of their shell a little bit, you know, they're still like Bryce Young's still been bad. So if they're going to give us passing attempts a bit more this week, um, and I want to play the Colts to play from ahead uh, and attack this run defense, that that seems pretty fun. They're, they're a little more expensive than I'd like, but not overly expensive, more expensive than the Patriots um, may keep the ownership down as well. Yeah, I'm not sold that much this week, but uh, JT Colts um, correlations are going to be pretty heavy in my lineups, I believe. Uh, Daigle, there are lots of backup quarterbacks to target this week. Uh, is there one in particular you want to be playing against? Brett Rippon is definitely one of them. I don't know if Stafford's officially been ruled out, but... We, not officially out, but it's, it's we, turning that way. We know exactly what's going to happen, considering that uh, they're playing in the frigid cold in Green Bay with that throwing ligament on his throwing hand, and they have a bye next week, always mm -hmm. telling that the player's just going to miss the game and sit out for three weeks. So, yeah, yeah. I don't expect Stafford to play. Brett Rippon's going to get eaten alive by the Packers' defense. Uh, I think it also – we didn't talk about A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones. A.J. Dillon in particular is really cheap on FanDuel. You'd play him on that site in particular because all he does is – get 20 carries for 50 yards and you have to hope for a touchdown. But like, if you think it's a more run heavy game script, then AJ Dillon makes sense on FanDuel too. But I like the Packers defense. Um, Packers are almost a perfect salary pivot off what should be the chalkiest defense yeah. of the week. That is the Patriots who are the cash game defense. So you're probably going to get about, uh, I don't know, you, you might get like, 5x to 6x higher ownership on the Patriots than the Packers this week. So obviously uh, that is a very good leverage spot for the Packers. But if you are playing cash games, you can just go ahead and plug in the Pats there. That does it for the Week 9 DFS MVP. As always, thank you everybody for watching and listening. Whatever podcast platform you're listening on, much appreciated if you give us a five-star rating and review. It is the easiest way to give back to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, we ask that you like the video, subscribe to the channel, make sure you are getting notifications for when we go live. And as always, in the YouTube description, there are links to sign up for Legendary Upside to get the 25% off the already discounted price of $49 for the DFS subscription. Once you do that, there's another link where you can upgrade to the solver and after you're signed up for all that hit us up on the discord sunday morning we've been absolutely crushing every single week especially with those cash game plays uh, so make sure you are in there for daigle and i giving our last minute recap every single week corain before we get out of here remind everybody what you got going on at legendary upside legendaryupside.com uh you can sign up and get the walkthrough uh the, the entire written article go check it out because there's like uh two games ahead of the paywall including the crystal lobby right up but um, I also narrate it on a private podcast feed for subscribers. 
Also check out the Legendary Upside podcast feed. Did an episode with Kyle Dvorak uh, and Daniel Raz on Monday talking through kind of looking back at the best ball uh, rankings that we had out all summer. So if that interests you at all, you can check that out on the Legendary Upside podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to follow us for more info on X slash Twitter, you can follow Pat at Pat Corain. You can follow Legendary Upside at Legendary Upside. Daigle is at not J Daigle. 4 is at 4 football I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday morning.